0: computer and good morning i'm andy johnson this is the reading instruction show and today we have a very special guest in our studio which isn't a studio it's just my office stephanie (laughs) Beer, and stephanie is a uh, used to be a teacher but now she's a literacy advocate so stephanie introduce yourself
1: Thank you, Andy. I'm glad to be here. And this is my office, my bedroom where the door is closed. My kids will hopefully not interrupt me. Um, I am a parent of three children. I uh, was a former teacher, but then after my last child was born, figured that I couldn't do best practices plus force mandates and then come home healthy. So I became an education activist and um, have now been working with a variety of things, but also including my helping my children on their literary journey through school
0: their literacy journey, literary journey, both of them. Interesting. Now, what was it that caused you to leave the classroom?
1: A lot of forced mandates, particularly around um, the lot of testing, data collecting, screening of kids, and what to me seemed more like a deficit model. And me having to put into place a lot of busy work that really did not tell me much about what the child was doing in the classroom. I, I Teaching is scholarly work. You have to put a lot into it. I've read, like, I know you're a fan of Dr. Allington, mm-hmm. read all of his work and used his work in the classroom, and it, and it worked. And so it was very effective, but I couldn't do that. Plus what I consider poor practices, um, it just didn't make sense. So I, I and to be with my children at home, I needed to come home happy, Edu- and I couldn't do that.
0: Yeah, educational malpractice. Teachers are being forced yes. to commit educational malpractice. Yep. And, and it's hard. It is very hard. It's very hard. And it's driving good teachers, master teachers, from the classroom. And that's a crime.
1: I loved being in the classroom and the the brilliance of each child in that classroom was amazing. It kept me going every day. But unfortunately. Classrooms have almost come more factory-like. We're trying to get out of the factory model, but it's like, okay, if they don't do well on this, then this is where they go. If they do well, then this is, you know, it's they don't really have a lot of advocacy or agency in the classroom anymore.
0: Yes. The only remedy is they're going down a conveyor belt is to send them back and run them through the conveyor belt again. Tell me more about the the standardized test madness. Do standardized yes. tests actually tell you what to teach?
1: Well, they would like for you to do that. I know I have to laugh because when I was, my second child was born, I came back from maternity leave and we had student conferences or, and I did parent or student driven conferences. So they led the conference. I did not realize we were supposed to show the map test results. And so instead I didn't do that. And I found out afterwards we were supposed to, but it's a number. In fact, when I was um, driving with my daughter and a couple of her friends, she, my kids don't take the standardized tests. They don't do any of the screenings. I really believe that they're okay because of this, because I do feel that they would have been considered deficit because they were late readers. And we're all of a sudden saying that kids have to be reading at four or five. But anyways, we were in the um, car with a bunch of her friends and they were all wondering what score they had gotten on this map test. And it was, in, they, they thought that the highest score made them the better reader. And I just looked at my daughter and she's like, oh yeah, now I get why you don't want me to, because that doesn't tell me anything. So And I always would like walk around when kids were taking the map and read some of the questions. I'm like, where are they going with this? And here's the other funny thing. When my son is a third grader, um, he doesn't take, like I said, the test, but they, of course, have to do all this test prep. And this was at the beginning of the COVID where we were at home. And so on the Google sheet, he had a a document with multiple choice questions. And he was just struggling and he was feeling really down because he couldn't get the right answers right. So I took the test. I did worse than he did <laughs> on these multiple choice reading. If more parents actually looked at these test questions, I think they would go, seriously, you think we have a reading problem? I think we have a testing problem.
0: We have a testing problem. So you're able to, to ask that your children not be part of the testing?
1: I, Minnesota, it's you, don't, you can, you can opt out of the test. And, and I have chosen also because I think we consider the standardized test only the Minnesota test, the state test, but I also consider MAPS. I, I don't want my kids also to do like IXL, any computerized programs for various reasons, because I, I want my kids to be readers. I don't want them to be good test takers. And and I feel like because of that, like I said, they, they still have had some struggles with their reading journey because of what I would consider mandates, but yet they don't necessarily see themselves as losers because they don't have this test to determine who they are as a reader. Well, let's talk about that
0: literacy journey or literary journey in just a minute, but the very fact of spending time to prepare for a test. Yes, it's a waste of time, but it invalidates the test. If the test is based on a normal population and a normal distribution of scores, all of a sudden, some groups are preparing and some groups aren't. So you are invalidating that test simply by preparing them for the test. That's one of the problems with it. As well, where do these questions come from? In Minnesota, these questions come from the literacy standards, Minnesota Academic English language arts standards, and look at the standards, they have nothing to do with reading in the real world. But someone decided that these should be used. All right, you still, all right, all right. Steph, you're gonna tell me, and you're on uh, mute right now, you're gonna tell me about, so your children's Mm -hmm. literacy journey. The oldest one is, is in what grade, how old?
1: She will be a junior. And then I have another one who will be a ninth grader and the youngest will be a seventh grader. All of them, late readers, they came into kindergarten, not knowing their, not knowing all of their alphabet. And I do remember once sitting at the um, after school, waiting for them to come out. And this one parent was so stressed because their child wasn't reading at the age of five and just, she wanted to get a tutor and all of this. And I just looked at her and said, Hey, I'm a teacher. My kid's not even, doesn't even have the alphabet down. And it was just like, there's like seriously, because there's so much pressure on parents that their kids are considered defective if they're not reading by that particular age. And there's a really good, I don't know if you're familiar with defend the early years, but there's an article out there, um, little to gain and much to lose. And it talks about how in kindergarten, if 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 you have a kid reading, starting reading at six or seven, and they are caught up by the age 11 for a kid who's reading at four or five. The stress in kindergarten Kindergarten shouldn't
0: look like first grade. You're breaking up on me a little bit, Stephanie. She's breaking up on me. As we wait for her to come back, kindergarten shouldn't look like first grade because kindergarten is kindergarten and first grade is first grade. It's not developmentally appropriate to have a push down curriculum. A curriculum, and I'm going to stop the recording here. Sure. All right. Sure. We had a little something was happening. All right. Your children left kindergarten, deficit model. What's wrong with them because they don't know their letters or whatever? So tell me about how. Well, fortunately,
1: they didn't leave with the deficit model because they weren't screened I I refused all of the testing that I, I was okay with testing that gave pe- parents or teachers information mm-hmm. but I wasn't okay with or teachers information but I wasn't okay with it for labeling was not going to do that anything that was standard or I, I, you know we live in a country that we're supposed to be individualized and yet we really push our kids to all be on the same page I, I don't make doesn't make sense to me but um my middle child was very much in she she did have some glitches what I would say in the reading but she was it was I was very fortunate that she had the same kindergarten and first grade teacher. And I remember her first grade teacher coming out to me and she goes, you know Steph, I just feel that she could use some some help with with reading but I knew what that would be. It would be pulling out with an aid and it would be phonics and just strictly phonics. And, and I said, no, I said, she's young. She's a July birthday. So she's actually very young for her age. And the teacher said, yeah, I mean, she she wanted to put her in the higher reading group because of her insight, her, her, her meaning making. But it, the physical pieces of writing or reading weren't working for her. And I know like in fourth grade, the teacher was going, yeah, she's great at comprehension. But when she reads out loud, she just really gets. And I'm like, well, I don't know that that's a skill that you need in real life, reading out loud so much. And by by 5th grade she was fine. And now I have just shared with you that she's got this cute little journal that yep. she puts her favorite quotes in. She's also I, you know reading level. I don't go by that because do you know what reading level you're at, Andy? Uh, do you know your reading level? You're right. <laughs> so I don't I don't go by that, but I go instead by what she like she came down the other day, 2 days ago, kind of just like drained. And I go, "What were you doing?" I just finished a book. She goes and I was crying. And I go, isn't that amazing that a writer can make you cry like that? That to me, it tells me she's a literate um, person.
0: Why don't you show the, the the journal you have?
1: Yeah, it's really cool. So she does, she's got this little journal. This isn't her only one, but she has, she, she'll draw mm-hmm. and she'll put various quotes in there. So she has it pretty much filled out, but she'll put different quotes that she likes yep. and she'll have drawings with it. So, I mean to me that that's someone who's on her literary journey she's interacting with and she books. can interacting with books and and f- pulling out you know when i was in the classroom we had a, a wall that said writing on the wall when students found passages that they thought were just like wow this is amazing they'd put it up on the wall
0: fun so how how did she become this avid reader what what was your secret or your what did you, what happened
1: well, like I said, I was fortunate because when I, the teacher, when I, like I told you that the teacher was saying that she needed this help. And I said, you know, but she's so young, the teacher, I could just see her go, you're right, Steph. She is young. And I am being pushed by so many of these mandates that I can't sell, but she goes, but you are absolutely right. We will continue to do what we're doing. and And she was fine. But we've read, I've got like a whole list of the books that we read aloud. I've read the whole Sisters Grimm books, the um, Unicorn Chronicles. So a lot of reading out loud. I would do a lot of reading with her. I don't know if you're familiar with the Piggy and Elephant books, but we would take those books, Mo Williams. And we would, re, or I would, she would be, I'd be elephant. We would do a lot of reading around. We would, and guess what? I use the queuing system. When she read and she said something that didn't make sense, I'm like, hold it. And, and I wouldn't always be right next to her. I said, what you just read totally didn't make sense to me. So she would go back, reread it and slow down. We would work through words that she didn't know. And yeah, we use phonics sometimes to figure out those words, but we did a lot of meaning making reading, but it wasn't laborious. We never sat down and drilled her. Never. It was all about fun. It was all about finding her interest area. Phonics can be learned in the context of good books.
0: And yes, systems is just recognizing the brain uses three interacting systems to recognize words. Something as simple as- We use it all the time. (laughs) Yeah. What makes sense in the sentence? That is developing the
1: semantic cueing system. And if anything, I feel like we're not, you know, like, and then, so my son is a different story. He's had more, he's uh, the seventh grader and he's had more of this, the mandates, I would say even SOR, science of reading before this. And right now I consider him a reluctant reader. It's not something he enjoys. He'll be okay. He's going to be okay. Mm -hmm. But um, he's the one that just, it's really hard for me to get him to love literacy right now, but he's okay. And and with that, go ahead. What kinds of things does he like to read? Well, and that I've been scouring the bookshelves for everything that we can find right now. His, his big book is um, the five nights at Freddy books. Okay. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but um, there, yeah. And he, so he's really big on that. We've read the bad guy series. Um, and that also is a, a situation where he'll read a page maybe, and then I'll read a page. We do a lot of modeling. When we come across a word, He's, he's not sure if he doesn't have the queuing system as it is, he'll just read on, which I find with a lot of students. And yep. he won't bother to stop and go, Oh, that doesn't make sense. He'll just keep reading. And I'm the one that stops him and say, Hey, you know, figure that out. And I just wanted to um, give you a little quiz, Andy. Okay. I'm going to read a passage from one of these Friday nights at Freddy books. And you tell me if you can figure out what this word is that I am going to read here. Okay. I could have you arrested for trespassing. Tra- what are you kids doing here? Oh, hold it. What? How did you know that word?
0: <laughs> because I've been arrested a lot. No, I haven't.
1: <laughs> but even like when he, when we would go through certain words, like the word um, neighbor. Mm-hmm. Now, if you look at the word neighbor in phonics, how do, how do you figure that word out? How do you possibly figure that word out? Yes. You need the context around it to get that. And, and so he, We would do, but we would still look like um trespassing. You can see little like ASS Bing mm-hmm. at the end of it. Tre, you know, is it treep passing or is it, tre, you know, so we would look at all of those things. But it was really about him finding those strategies that worked for him. It, and like I said, that like his first grade, his first grade teacher, first of all, 30 kids in the classroom. Ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Second of all, I think it's SRA. I, it's the you know where you read a passage and then if you pass that, you go on to the next. Yeah. So it really wasn't any engagement. So it's really you know this SRA is bringing back a lot of old practices that we know don't work. And he did get they got a phonics program in there, um, and he's like, I don't know why you know I don't understand what this is all about, and and so it's just it's mind boggling to me, but. We're blaming so many things, but we're not blaming like personalized learning was this new district's policy. They had a Bill Gates um, person come in and say, oh, we're doing amazing things with this. That has nothing to do with actual literacy.
0: Yes. You know, what you are doing, asking your your son to look for word parts that they recognize, that's large unit phonics. And the National Reading Yes Bank says synthetic phonics, analytic phonics, large unit phonics. One is not better than the other they should all be taught. And analyzing words that they're reading, that's analytic phonics. And to teach a strategy, okay. look for parts that you know, that's analogy. That is a word recognition strategy. So they came in, Bill Gates, and, and again, because someone <laughs> they is- They had a,
1: one of his consultants.
0: Yeah, because someone is an <laughs> expert in business, we call on them to help us understand education. And yes. teachers never exploited third world countries for labor or polluted rivers. Why? Why in heaven's name would we ask someone from business who's an expert in business things, not in children's learning things, about learning? Yeah, it's about money. She's putting her fingers together.
1: Mm-hmm. So <laughs> and I, I I wanna. Go ahead. so, you know, we say that, um, I did like a reading and writing workshop in my classroom. I want to also make sure that we understand the power of writing. I was part of the National Writing Project, which was an intensive summer program. And so, as a teacher, I really, really worked hard on understanding product or process process. um he wasn't getting that anymore. He, right. he, it's very much chunked up fluency, flu, fluency is huge. And it would be, uh, and I never saw, my point is I never saw balanced reading literacy in my children's classroom. They got plenty of phonics. They got word recall. They got um, a lot of, like I said, fluency. And I'm like, you know, my, my oldest daughter, they wanted to pull her out or have her go after school for a fluency, just practice fluency. And I said, nah, not going to do it. You know, she's here's, I'll tell you what, go, or Her thing now is that all of her friends went to Barnes & Noble, bought a book, they bought a different colored pen, and they're now writing comments in that, and then they're sharing them with each other so they can have conversations about these books. What a cool idea is that? That's a literate daughter. That's not someone who is focused on just fluency. I mean, I I just don't understand some of the things that we're doing, and it's not balanced literacy. (laughs) You know, uh,
0: Steph, I interviewed a teacher last night, and she said the same. She was involved in the writing project as well. Oh, yeah. What a coincidence. And she said, well, it's been shown that there is a strong reading and writing connection. One enhances Absolutely. And, Absolutely. And writing is mistaught and undertaught.
1: Yes, and and my my son in particular has not had writing, and and then they've gone back to doing just the grammar, you know, making it um, all about. And like I I loved Katie Wood Ray's book Study Driven, where we'd had a unit on on um, punctuate or on grammar, or punctuation. I would take out all of the period or punctuation out of a particular story. We try to read it, and we're like, okay, so we discovered. And it was really, I mean, we had some strong writers in that class and we would all constantly back revising and editing Ralph um, Fletcher. And and my son is not, he can't, it, writing is not his strength. And I get it because he's never had the practice to do it.
0: What a neat idea. Boy, I wish you were in a classroom someplace. I would love to be in the classroom. And that's, that's what really pains me is good teachers like you are being driven out. You can't learn, teachers of writing need to write. Mm-hmm. Would you take piano lessons from someone who didn't play the piano.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Teach Absolutely. We need to teach the
1: process. Instead mm-hmm. Absolutely. of, instead of just discarding. And more importantly, we have to give ownership back to the students. I really feel in this mandated world, I, I feel like they're going through the system versus it giving them this, the tools and skills they need but them to be active. I don't feel like there's active learning going on right now. Learning is something being done to them. Yes. And it's, it's pain. Well, and I don't even know if it's learning to be honest with you, but it's painful. I, I, I fear for our little children. We talk about, you know, the high schools and, and kids having a lot of mental health issues. And, you know, when we're pushing them at such a young age to do something, why are if, if, you know, why aren't we having kids all walk at that nine months? Yes. You know, maybe if they're all walking at nine months, we should start screening them at six months. And if they're not doing certain things at six, I mean, can you imagine how painful that is? A child wants to go into the classroom and they want to love it. And then we take that away when the first day we're screening them and then we say they're deficient. Interesting. Who wants to, who wants to, Who? who's motivated by that?
0: Right. Deficiency model. So what i advice- yeah would you give parents what advice (laughs) what do you want to say to parents
1: to trust the process i and to um to not take those tests because they don't tell you much if it well and i i wouldn't it be great if we could opt in to this testing the the first the, the daughter my middle child when she did um you know, they were talking about struggles. I did actually find a teacher who I know who's very respected and expert in the field, but was not in the classroom. And I had her sit down with my daughter and have her do some reading, authentic reading kinds of assessments. And she said, Steph, she's fine. She's going to be fine. So let's go back to real authentic assessments that help. Mm -hmm. Let's maybe opt. If you feel like you need to have this but I would refuse the test. Let your child go in with joy. Let them the first day, you know, the first day they usually go back like a 30 minute and they do these, all these tests for your kid. Just let them go on and meet the teacher, get to know the classroom, you know, things like that. That to me is what I would say. Don't worry about if your child isn't reading by the age of five, isn't reading by the age of six, let them discover, let them explore. And what can parents do at home? Um, do a lot of reading with them. Find joy. We we would read books over and over and over again, particularly the ones they love. Like I said, with the elephant and piggy books, yeah, we would um, we would play act play. We mm-hmm. would do things like that. We would talk. We want I would say, okay, what is this about? Or what you know? We would have conversations about the book, but we would also, like I said, like you were talking about in regards to words they didn't know. We would do a variety of different things to say, okay, this is how you learn these words, you know. Um, but just find joy in literacy. They see me. I, my, my oldest daughter gave me this book. She made this for me. It's a reading journal. Oh, she knows me as a reader. And yep. she has little tabs in it. She has my book list. She has my favorite books, reading thoughts, you know, so I, myself, so this is what she created for me. Oh. Cool. Um, and so, yeah, so, and give them experiences, let them play. Yep. We know that the pl- power of play is so important and yet we're taking it away from them. Yep
0: they're not just cerebellum sitting in a row. they're emotional, social, intellectual, uh, creative beings. So what advice would you have for classroom teachers that are out there struggling with this, these mandates?
1: To get involved with Sandy Johnson and the ILIC, um, International Literacy Educators Coalition. I think that it's um, powerful because it gives us a voice, a collective voice. I think Taught, you know, like I've had teachers reach out to me because I'm no longer in the classroom. They say, I can't say this, but can you say this for me? Wow. And so then I go out and I will, I'll publicize on my face or various places. I'll say, you know, this is what's happening. I'm, I'm hoping that we can, um the outside, unfortunately, teachers are scared and I get it. I mean, good grief. They've got so many things coming. You go into a um, convenience store these days and it says, please be nice to the um people, were doing our best. Teachers have like that times a million. Yep. And so I would say, reach out to people who maybe aren't in the classroom, tell us what's going on and we'll advocate for you if you can't. But if you can try to close, yeah, I don't know, Andy, I don't know what to tell you on that because I, got, I can't say much because I got out of the classroom. I, I admire teachers who are still in it.
0: <laughs> people don't realize how hard teachers work, oh. how stressful it can be. And yes, how they're wasting a hundred million dollars on the science of reading boondoggle when it could have been used to have smaller class sizes.
1: Absolutely, and educate. You know, we know that there are places that have really. I taught um in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and we had we were constantly going into each other's classrooms and looking at what people were doing. We, we were constantly reading um journal, you know, professional articles. We were at, um active research is what we were doing. Mm -hmm. You know, put your investment in that because that's where it's going to go. It's not not a program.
0: Yes, there's no program in the world. Action research is teacher directed research where they Mm -hmm. do research in their classroom and often they connect Mm -hmm. it to the research literature.
1: I guess the one thing I would say for teachers is not to look at maps. You know, if you if you feel like you have to look at it, look, but don't look at what you're doing in the classroom. Look at what your children are doing in the classroom, your students. And that is the best indicator of where they're going to be and what they're doing.
0: A doctor is assessed by patient outcome or by patient what by his practice, what he does. Some they have different outcomes. Teachers Mm -hmm. should be assessed and valued by what they do in the classroom, by the strategies and
1: processes they have. All right. And look at I, the strengths of the students. Look yes. at the strengths of the students, what they're doing well. Get to yes. know them. All
0: right. One last question for you, Steph. I'm working with pre-service teachers. What advice do you have for them? I'm gonna show them this by the way. Oh, so take, a
1: hi, <laughs> take a deep breath. Take a high, take a deep breath. Um. Find the joy in each child that you're working with, get to know them and and listen to the research and listen to Andy and what he's given you. Read um, Richard Allington, read all of these professional people who know what they're doing. And Andy, just for your sake, my daughter just told me that she wants to be a teacher. So we have six years to fix this. (laughs) (laughs) She's working with students this summer and she's just loving it. She loves that what she sees in each child and, and what their brilliance and and so um if she's going to go into it i need to make sure that she knows what what she's getting into
0: what really keeps me going and brings me joy is interacting and finding teachers in my graduate classes i see them and their eyes light up when they talk about their kids and what they're doing in the classrooms that really mm-hmm. is what keeps me going in this all right yes steph fear i wish you well <laughs> thank Your you literacy advocacy And this has been the Reading Instruction Show.